looking for something to ponder and meditate on in these days leading up to Christmas. This is a wonderful passage. I, I really, I would suggest it. We're going to look at some travelers in this story and, and some symbols from the story. And these travelers, they travel a long distance to investigate, to find out if this Christmas child was really who everyone said that he was and that he was coming, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it might give you some simple inspiration to, to be as dedicated a seeker of Jesus as these followers were. Now, this passage, for those of you who are leaders, it might speak to you. Maybe you're a leader in some industry or the marketplace or even here at church. And a lot of leaders could look at this passage and they could begin to reflect on how easily one can be threatened and intimidated by another leader who comes into their leadership orbit. Uh, to, to what extent will your dark side tempt you to hold on to the power that you have and the position that you have at all costs? What temptation will come your way to put down another leader so that you can secure your position? How will you compete with them to keep your place? Herod had some power issues, as we're going to see, but he's really not even our focus this morning. But I want to give you just a little bit of history. Uh, Herod was actually a man who was about four foot, four inches. He was a short man, but he wanted to prove that he was a big guy. Modern scholars believe that he probably suffered during his and through his lifetime with the depression and paranoia. He became a master builder of erecting palaces, fortresses, and cities. He built Masada. He suffered, I mean, he, he, he remodeled the temple in Jerusalem. He built aqueducts, and he just built cities and, and did all this great building. He was a driven person. But he was also very cruel, jealous. He was a vicious individual who, on one evening, actually murdered his wife and a couple of his children. It prompted Julius or Caesar Augustus, it prompted Caesar Augustus to simply say this, you know what, it's probably safer being one of Herod's pigs than one of his kids. And that was probably pretty true. Into his 70s, he became very ill with an excruciating pain. Scholars believe it was some kind of a, probably a, an infected kidney that ended up uh, having gangrene. And knowing his unpopularity, Herod knew he was very unpopular, that the people around him hated him. And he knew that nobody would mourn his death. So as he prepared to die, Herod ordered the arrest of, some, of a large number of distinguished and significant and prominent men in the area to be arrested, put in jail until he died. And at the time that he died, at the moment that he died, his, his order was simply this, I want you to kill every one of those men at that moment. What was his rationale? If they're not going to mourn for me, they'll mourn for some other people. And therefore, mourning will be taking place during my death. So we can see that the guy was an egomaniac. He had some significant issues. And I note this history because, well, first of all, Herod is a very interesting character. But more importantly, I want to remind us of a very salient, important truth during this busy time of the season, because it really is so easy for us to, especially if you have children, grandchildren, or maybe we're just adults who still love to get involved with Santa Claus and the elves and all of the kind of make-believe parts of the season, we forget that there's a truth and a reality of this season. And the historicity of it is very clear and very important 
to remember. Galatians 4, 4 said it this way. But when time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, to redeem those under the law that we might receive full rights of sons, that we could be adopted into this grand family of God's. In the midst of all the symbols of Christmas, I never want us to forget that we would stay tethered to the truth that this really happened. And as you read the account that we're going to read here in just a moment, as you read Luke chapter 2, there are historical events that place this, that make it help us realize and remember this happened. This isn't Santa Claus coming down the chimney and Jesus showed up on the earth kind of like that. This is the real deal. This is where Jesus Christ, the eternal God of the universe, the creator of all, literally stepped into time and space for a heavenly purpose. So if you would look at chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. And we're just going to walk through it. I want to look at a few more symbols of Christmas to remind us as we see them this season, some of the deeper meanings that we can glean from them. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. Well, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he asked them the exact time that the store appeared. He sent them back to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go and I can worship him. It's always amazing, you know, what there's good worship and then there's bad worship. And then there's a lot of people who use worship for a lot of different means to their own ends. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star that they had seen in the east. It led them until it came, and it stopped above the place where the child was. Now, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. And a lot of times when you come to Jesus, when you really find Jesus, when you really see Jesus, that's exactly what should happen. There should be this joy beyond measure that fills your life. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. You got to get just a little bit of the picture here. These are men. These are astute men. These are... Smart men. And this is a child. Not a baby anymore. This is a child. And literally, they fall down. They bow their knee. And they are worshiping this child. And then what do they do? Well, then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts and gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And that's really a good principle too that when you really come to Jesus guess what you'll never be the same you'll never go back to the same things you won't live your life the same way because there will be radical revolutionary there'll be just incredible changes that will take place when you've really met the Jesus of Christmas 
I want to look at a couple of symbols. And the first one today I want to note is the Christmas star. Incredible as it may seem, the scriptures show us that God established this star to be able to guide these wise men who were traveling from the east to come and see the Christ child that they'd been looking for. Now remember, for over 400 years, the, the prophets had been silent. There had been 400 years from the time Malachi put a period to his papyrus. That was it. God didn't speak to him for 400 years, but they knew they still awaited. They longed. They believed for the coming of this great Messiah, the promised child. So these men here that we're reading about today, they would have studied the galaxies, the stars, in anticipation for this Christ child. And the scripture is really clear, and the history is really clear, that these were bright men who rejoiced over God once they found him. But isn't it wonderful how God gave them this accurate guide that led them to Christ? Because they probably wouldn't have found him without that star. But if you look really close, you see it as God's guide for these guys on their journey to find Jesus. And I really want you to understand this, that in this season, in all seasons, every day, in every one of your lives, I don't know where a lot of you are today, but never forget this. God will always give you a star. God will always give you a personal spiritual GPS system for every person. The star in this Christmas season today is the symbol of truth that God always lights our path. We talked about light last week and how John 1.9 says this, that God gives light to every man. Literally, there will be no man, no woman, who will ever stand before God that will, uh, that will have an excuse that they didn't know, didn't see, weren't given some expression of revelation of the living God. So God has this divine guidance system that he wants to make clear to all. How many of us looking back, maybe some of us were confused trying to sort out and make sense of these things, unsure of what was taking place in our hearts and our lives. And yet God provided each one of us with some kind of a guidance system, a parent, a good friend, a co-worker, a teacher, a church. And without that person, without that expression, we probably would have never have found Jesus. God sent someone to us who was a light. They were bright, and they were able to help us navigate our way by the real love and faith of the person that we saw. And just spending time around them, we were, there was this compelling pull to get to know them better because of what they talked about concerning Jesus. I don't know about you, but there are some earthly guides that I had that, that just they, they pulled me into their life because of their love for me. And they really became a guide on this journey, my spiritual journey when I was a teenager. At the time, I didn't even know it because I've told you a number of times I went to church for a number of years and really never, you know, I just, I would sit there and, and I had my friend who always wanted to, you know, make this response to Christ and I wasn't ready to. So, so God gave me stars. He gave me these great guides. Their name were Alvy, Ron, Mike. And these guys, for two years, they would simply call me. They would take me to play tennis. They would take me to play basketball at 5 in the morning. They didn't preach at me. They just shared their life with me. But they were incredible guides. And ultimately, you probably heard the story a couple of times, but where Ron was a missionary. He was a guy that would actually meet with me at 5 o'clock in the morning to go play basketball with me, just to build that relationship. And before he went back 
uh, before, to Liberia, <clears throat> Africa, back in 1976. He looked at me and Trina, and he said to me, he said, within a year, you're going to be in Bible college. And I said, <laughs> right. Well, guess what? A year later, I was in Bible college. He was a guide. He was a star. He was a light. I look at our church, and I, I see all the people here that, that you've come here. You're a part of this church because of somebody else that God has put a, a light, a guide in your life. It's interesting. I just received a, an email after last Sunday's service from a, uh, a fairly longtime Creeksider. I just want to read it. This is Pastor Terry. I just wanted to say thank you for the message this morning. A sweet reminder that 13 years ago this month, I unwrapped the gift of salvation and started my relationship with Christ. And what a special relationship that is. I, too, love Christmas and all that comes with it. It's my favorite time of year, but I never want to forget the reason for the season. Thank you, too, for all that you have taught me. You're the most amazing, wonderful, greatest, bestest pastor in the whole wide world. No, I just made all that last part up. <laughs> but the rest of it's true. Um, that's that's uh, uh, Deanna and, uh, and Randy Wolford, and, and, and Dina wrote that to me. And I remember 13 years ago when she first came, her friend Patty Smith, her guide. Patty used to come to me and always say, Pastor, Pastor, I think they might come today. Be good. And... Uh, and uh, and then a lot of times they wouldn't come. And finally, at this time of year, 13 years ago, they came. And I must have been really, really good. And uh, they're still here. And, uh, and, and I just go, that's how God works. And sometimes we got to realize that it takes time with people on the journey. And hear me, loved ones, it's a great time to thank Christ for the guide or the guides that he's put in your life that have patiently walked with you, answered questions, loved you, and just helped you walk through certain situations in your life. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says, because this is really what we're supposed to do. We're to be guides. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, and he says this, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. And see, loved ones, that's why it's so important that we are begin to look more and more like Jesus every day in every way. Now, it's probable that in a room this size and this many people, that there's others here that you're still seeking. You're still trying to sort things out in the faith. The truth is, a number of you may be wandering just in, in spiritual circles, feeling like you haven't made any headway. And, and maybe you've heard some things. Maybe you were last here last Christmas, and you just feel like it's not really connecting to you. You're still as detached this year as you were last year. You don't see much changing in your life. Let me encourage you. I believe this. God has put travel guides in every one of our lives, in every one of your lives. Scan the horizon to see if there's a relationship there 
a person that has reached out to you, that has opened dialogue with you concerning this great season and this great Savior. Maybe God's gift is to guide you through this church. I don't know. But be open. Be walking. Be seeking. Be asking. The star is there for the world to see. And God usually puts it with people. He realized that that star was there for, we don't know how many, I mean, how many centuries. And all of a sudden, there is a number of men that were studying it. And they looked up, and they saw it, and they went. How many people looked up and maybe saw this great star, but they never followed it, even though they knew. And some of you would say, well, Pastor, I need a supernova, man. I, I need something. I need a falling star just to, I mean, just to go crashing over my house for me to believe. Well, I don't know if God will do that. But God will do something to get your attention. And he'll give you a guide. Some of, you, some of us, we want this big thing. That's not usually how God works. Most of his ways, his works, and his miracles are, guess what? Read the Bible. They're assisted by helping human hands who are available and open for business. It's not that he can't do it on his own. He could. But he doesn't want a people that are just simply always looking and seeking for signs. Remember the Mary and the birth of Jesus through her. It was an angelic being that come and said, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. See, God probably could have just, I mean, he spoke the worlds into existence, Hebrews 1 tells us. Do you realize that he could have done that with Jesus? Or he could have just said, okay, Jesus, you're sitting here at the right hand on this throne with me. I think we're just going to parachute you down. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to bring you as a humble child to a humble girl and raise you in a humble family, in a humble place, so that people wouldn't fear you, and they would simply see you. See, I'm sure the wise men would have perverted an Egyptian carnival cruise tour, but guess what? God was simply responsive to where they were in their life. They were stargazers, astrologers, star studiers, and God said, I'm going to speak to them that way. And hear me, loved ones, God does the same with you. He'll speak to you this season. Keep on the journey. And if some of you have veered off the journey, get back. Find your God positioning system today. It's now. Get back on the journey. Second symbol of Christmas that I, I love is Christmas cards. Do you have yours out yet? I haven't received very many. But I, I have to tell you, last year, I think Trina and I had ours out like by December 1st. And this year, we're hopefully, we're going to get them out probably Tuesday. But uh, so we're working on that. If you haven't received one from the Rileys, I apologize. that they, They're going to be in the mail, just like all those other checks we say. What's interesting about the cards, I love, love Christmas cards. I love the ones, the little family ones. But I, I went through the ones that uh, some of you sent us last year. And it's interesting because whenever they talk about this passage, you'll see, you know, the wise men still seek him. And it's always how many? 
three. It's always got the star. It's got the three wise men on camels. See, there's three. See it there? Here's three. And they've got them there, and there's the nativity scene, the nativity scene, and oh, joy to the world, the star, and three wise men, and the star. It's, it's very prevalent. I see cards speak to us. And I want to tell you that I, I, I'm not convinced because the Bible never says that there's really three wise men. The reason that they probably have three wise men is because they talk about three gifts. And so the assumption is there could, there could have been a hundred wise men. There could have been two wise men. We don't know. But it's not necessarily three. And while that's not really a, a major important point, uh, if, if you take one of these little Christmas um, tests, just know that the answer is not necessarily, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that there's three wise men. But consider generally, how do these, how do these cards work? Now, most of the time, I mean, business relationships, it can be a little different. You just send them to people because you want to get on their good side or whatever. But, you know, basically when I send, when we send a Christmas cards, what do we do? We kind of evaluate our relational world and our relational orbit. And we just simply say, you know, it's a very nice, kind, uh, relationship-building, person-honoring way to just say thank you to a friend and let them know what, that we think about them, we we remember them, so we want to communicate something to them of blessing and grace. You know, they just uh, oftentimes people will just send me a little note, and they'll just say something very sweet and very kind. And I have to tell you that whenever I receive those, I'm always deeply moved. See, when you receive a card from somebody, when I receive a card from somebody, my first thought is, I'm on someone's friendship list. They, they, they care. And it just wells up within me this sense of thankfulness for my friends that are near and those that are far. But somehow, they care enough, they thought enough, they spent just a little to make sure that they could touch my life with an encouragement and let me know that I'm their friend. Isn't that really the reason why you do it? Because you send them to people. You want them to know they're your friend, you're thinking of them, you want to communicate to them. Well, sidebar, one of the things, I can't remember if I learned it from somebody here at Creekside, I might have, but for the last few years now, one of the things that we do, the reason I have all these, and I just went through and grabbed about five or six of them this morning, is what Trina and I do is uh, at the beginning of the year, we take all the Christmas cards that you send us, and we just pick one out each day and put it in our fridge. And that's the family that we pray for or the person that we pray for and just give God thanks for them and ask God to bless them during this upcoming year. And it usually takes us about three months to get through the stack that we get. So if you want to get prayed for before April, you might want to, you might want to send us a, a Christmas card. Oh, I'm so shameless this morning, aren't I? But, but that's what we do, and I, it's, just a, uh, it's kind of a small thing, but it just reminds you of the people that care about you and the people you care about. Now, here's another gracious reminder of God for this season in cards. Listen to what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. When it talks about the Word there, it's, it's a Greek philosophy and thought when John writes this. 
Because what he's saying is, as Jesus came, he refers to him as the Word because in Greek thought, it would have really helped them understand that he is the express thought, the expression of God come in Christ Jesus. So that when you see Jesus, when you hear Jesus, when you watch Jesus and everything that he does, guess what? Well, that's the simple expression of who God is, what God would say, how he operates, what he would do. Hebrews 1.3 says that it is Jesus who is the exact radiance and representation of our Father in heaven. So he is the word, the thought of God. What a great Christmas card. Because then in J- uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13 and 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's getting ready to check out of this earth. And he makes this profound statement declaring this changing relationship that his disciples then would have with him and every disciple into eternity would have with him. Before that, he was, he, they were more of his servants and his co-workers. And he says to them, listen, the relationship is changing as I'm getting ready to leave. And he says this, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you're no longer servants. But I call you friends. Jesus, God's word, thought, and expression. That's God's Christmas card to every one of us. Now ponder for a minute, loved ones, the magnitude of those words. Allow them to wash over you. Allow them to seep deeply into your soul. The end of his life, he wants them to know one thing. I want you to know that you're my friend. Now, it's a privilege whenever, and I don't have a problem with it at all, whenever anybody introduces me as, this is my pastor, Pastor Terry. That's a, that's a great honor and a great privilege. But it was a number of years ago, I was with Kent Middleton, and we were with somebody, and, and Kent, he looked at me, and he looked at his person, I can't remember if it was a friend or business person, whatever. but he looked at them and looked at us, and he said, this is my friend, Terry. He didn't call me his pastor, and it wasn't because he was, you know, embarrassed of it or ashamed about it, but the way that he did it, it was such a natural and sincere way that it really moved me, that I knew I was Kent's friend beyond just being a pastor can be kind of a kind of a distant relationship but he said this is my friend and it so moved me at the time a number of years ago that oftentimes now that that when when I introduce people I don't introduce them necessarily as a creeksider I will say Bob this is my friend John why because there's something powerful about that isn't it? See, all of us have some good friends, but even some of those good friends, what have they done? They burned us. They betrayed us. And Jesus says very clearly, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even our best friends, our closest friends are flawed. They don't have unlimited time for us. They'll forget our birthdays. They won't give us a Christmas card or present. They don't appreciate us always. They lack a perfect ability to listen to us. 
but Jesus is a flawless friend. His listening skills are unparalleled. He is available 24-7, 365. The Bible says he is a wise counselor. He's a flawless friend. His resources toward us are unlimited. I can't tell you the times that the Lord has sustained me during difficult seasons, where he's counseled me through his word, where he's brought some of you into my life to speak into it and to challenge me, where he speaks to me through the impressions of the Holy Spirit, where I'm just walking and the Spirit begins to talk to me, speak to me, impress upon me. God can speak things through his spirit in my spirit, your spirit, if we're listening. He'll speak something in a nanosecond that takes minutes to unfold. Have you ever had that happen? Where you just knew God spoke something to you. I, I had a couple of bad Sundays. It wasn't 13 years ago, I don't think. But, um, but, but I had a couple of really bad Sundays. And you were just all so bored. And you're kind of looking at me, and it just wasn't. And I, I just, I, I, I felt really bad for you. And, uh, and, then, and then when service was over, I felt really bad for me. Because I just felt bad, 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 bad. Because I had just felt like such a, just a, a failure. And I was walking home, and I said, Trina, I'm just going to walk. I mean, it's not that far, but um, it just gave me a chance to clear my head. And I remember walking home, and I was just thinking, oh, God, I'm going to go home and get the Sunday paper. I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to start driving a truck. Because I just, I, I just want something to do by myself. I don't want to have to worry about anybody else. I don't want to have to, you know, I just, and I, and I was driving home, and I said, God, what do you think about that? And I and I was just giving a really pity party and telling them, oh, I'm so bad. And, and God, you know, what, what are we going to do about this? And, 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 and I was just walking and listening, and, and, and there's this nanosecond of an impression, and it was simply this. You showed up. And I thought for a second, oh, great, Lord. I'm ready to quit. And all you can say is you showed up. He didn't say, good job. He didn't say, wow, you're just wonderful, the best pastor in the whole wide world. You just said you showed up. And you know what I've learned? Sometimes that's what we got to do in this thing. We just got to show up week after week, day after day. And God will begin to speak to you, and he'll begin to encourage you. But you can't give up. You can't quit. You got to show up, because when you show up, that's where God can begin to speak to you. Because you know what I realize? All I can do, loved ones, is my best. And it's not as good as some. It might be better than a couple here or there. But all I can do is really three things. I can give, I can do my head work, my heart work, and the homework. And then when I stand here every morning, it's really up to God. It's really up to God to take whatever I do and all my frailties and weakness and to be able to make something to be able to speak it to you and to challenge you. And hear me, loved ones, it's the same for you. And that's why these Christmas cards become so important. Because some of you are unsure. How am I going to get through this Christmas? Maybe you're single. Maybe you lost somebody through a death or a divorce or an estrangement. It's a difficult medical season physically for you. You've received a bad card. But I want to say to you today that Christmas is about God giving you and when you get these cards, each time, hold it and thank Jesus, not only for human relationship, it would send you a card. But after giving thanks for that person that sent this, take another moment and say, God, thank you 
that you sent your word, that you sent Jesus to speak to me. Third and the last one is this story you see is the wise men. As I said, they were bright. They were astute. They were astrologers. They were star gazers. They were interpreters of dreams. They were students. And we see the Lord appears to us where we are. They studied the stars. That's how God spoke to them. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the midst of this, they were humble, humble men. While learned had resources, there still was a powerful humility about them. Why do we know that? Well, because first of all, <coughs> excuse me, they followed. At some point, these wise men had to make this decision. Are we going to follow? Are we going to trust or are we going to go on our gut and trust our heart on this one and simply go and pursue and to seek out the truth? And everybody in this world, everybody in this room, every one of us have to make that decision day after day. Will we pursue? Will we go? Will we follow that GPS system, that spiritual guide that God gives us? Now remember, it takes time. I spent over a year and a half on that journey before I made this commitment to Christ. Do you know that these stargazers, sometimes we forget this, remember, Jesus is now in a house with his mother. This is not the Luke 2 baby in the manger scene. So these guys, they saw the star where Jesus is born. Guess what? They are on the road. They are traveling. They are on a journey for anywhere from probably most scholars believe a year and a half to two years before they find Jesus. And that's why I encourage you, stay on the journey. Or some of you are waiting for the promises of God in your life. Continue to follow. Don't give up. Stay on the journey. Because what God has spoken to you, he will do. He will perform. He will provide. Stay on the journey. Secondly, what did they do? They gave. The magi, the, the wise men, they came. And they got their gift presentation right, didn't they? The Bible says very specifically that they presented their gifts. They first went down on bended knees. These humble men humbled themselves again before this, this God child. See, they didn't just send their gifts Camel Express or leave it on the doorstep. They went in. They intensified the effect of their gifts by how they presented them. They gave them in the context of personal worship. That's always the best way of giving to the Lord. That we don't give out of compulsion. We don't give out of constraint. We simply give out of our, our hearts filled, overflowing with worship and praise. Praise for what God has done for you and worship for who he is. Now hear me. True worship will always cost you something. I may be talking about this next week, but but, but true worship will always cost you something. You know how that you're really growing and moving forward and being changed in Jesus? Because you become like the wise men. You give. You give of your time. You give of your talents. You give of your treasures. You're a person that is continually 
pursuing Jesus. Coming into this season, I suppose another important symbol that many of us have would be these symbols. <laughs> you know what these are, don't you? One's a credit card, and one is a debit card. Now, I'm not encouraging you to use credit, but some of you will. I will. Not much, but I will. But some of you will use it till the numbers begin to melt off, and there's smoke going from the machines. And you know what? There's going to come a day, probably at the middle of next month, and you're going to feel the pain. Because the bills always come due, don't they? This season, we can never forget what Jesus taught us when he was teaching us how to pray. Remember in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, when you pray, pray like this. And one of the stanzas in there is simply this, forgive us our debts. Can I remind you or encourage you or challenge you Maybe each time this holiday season, as you use your credit card or your debit card and you're standing there waiting for the transaction to be completed, take a moment to think about the ultimate transaction that Jesus made for your moral debt of sin. How one day it came due the bill came in, and it caused great pain to the lover of your soul, Jesus Christ. Uh, but guess what? On the cross, he paid it all. Take a moment when you're standing there, and you're, you've handed it, and you're waiting to get it back, and you're going to sign how Jesus took your brokenness, the predicament of your life and your sin, your failings, and he paid the price. He rolled up his sleeves. He removed his robes. And he said, I'm going to this fallen creation against impossible odds so that I could remove every bit of your moral debt. I love this passage, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20. You see it there on your notes. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world that was revealed for the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope What does it say? You were not redeemed by mere silver and gold. And we're going to see that splashed and passed around. But we were redeemed by the most precious of commodities in this, that this world has ever known. We were not, not by silver or gold, but simply by this. We were redeemed by the precious blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And a lot of churches, they don't like to talk about the blood of Jesus anymore. But we understand that's what washes away our sins. Hebrews chapter 7 says if that wouldn't have happened, guess what? We'd still be dead in our sins. But God's plan, can you imagine this when it got passed around heaven? It had to take heaven's breath away. You're going to what? 
You're going to sacrifice your son, the thing that's most dear to you, Father? But he did it. Why? Because his plan included and focused on rescuing you and me and every human being from eternal ruin. The plan, the gift, it was personalized. It was prioritized, and it was unbelievably priceless. Can you understand now why the heavens had to explode with music from the angels the night that Christ was born? Do you understand what the angels were singing? Glory to God in the highest. Not only do we see the Godhead becoming a little baby and man taking on the form of man, but glory to God in the heavens who would give such a gracious, priceless, wonderful gift. Because, see, the heavens knew there could never be another gift like this, and there had never been one before, and there would never be another one after. Glory to God on the highest goodwill and peace toward men. This was the ultimate gift to meet the ultimate need. This Christmas season, for some of you, the first step may simply be to receive this pricey gift and to begin your journey. You may not know the answers. You may not know exactly where everything is, but start pursuing. Be a wise person and pursue is God who loves you.